0: It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns just to dust. dust. Like eye contact with a strangers from the crowded This It's a dream that you have to make The passing <laughs> note of the song flowing. The ship of the sea. Think you saw it, saw it, Think you see it. SOI
1: 103.5. The Shores. 102. <laughs> I love it. We're like, it's like we're
0: live right now. Do you know why um, all radio stations end in an odd number? Uh-oh. It's because in order for your radio to play stereo music and for a mono radio, like an old radio that only can, will play through one speaker, mm-hmm. to also receive the station, they broadcast a mono signal on the odd frequency. Mm-hmm. And then the subcarrier frequency, which is the even frequency, which you can't tune into, mm-hmm. they broadcast uh, only the left side of the audio. And oh, then your, your receiver will play the left side through the left side and then subtract the left from the mono signal to derive the right
1: huh. and play both at the same time. That's crazy. Yes. <clears throat> it yeah. It's amazing that they thought of that. Well, now I don't feel so ignorant, so I'm on the shores.
0: <laughs> well, let's get, let's get back into let's our get ignorance. Back, get back into cheers our right. To hey the shores. Hey. Mm. All right. Episode two for the year. Two, yeah.
1: How are we feeling? That's crazy. 102. 102. Oh, is that why you said 102 for a uh-huh. radio station? <laughs> okay. We broadcast on a different station every week. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Next week, we'll 103. 103. Whew.
0: All right. We got kind of a few different things to go through today, I think.
1: Yeah, I don't know. We're going to, I know maybe start off with, you know, there's something that you kind of, I feel like you kind of like had an epiphany this week. You want to go straight to that? I don't know. Into. We can, we can, uh, we can uh, be critical
0: under. into critical theory <laughs> and the necessary destruction that it brings. Yeah. Let's go for Let's it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't been able to stop thinking of it. And, and I think I had a bit of a, an epiphany, which is that, well, I'm not sure how to make the case, so maybe you can help me along here. Okay. But so the idea of critical theories, so critical race theory being one, um, Woke, wokeness in general is is derived from critical theory. The idea is that critical theory sets up the way that things should be, describes utopia, and then describes why things aren't that way. Whereas a traditional theory seeks to understand why things are the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got a lot of critical theories running around, and obviously the the media and politicians are incentivized to sort of downplay this for critical critical race theory, for example. You know, we're just talking about racism. You know, should be talked about, should be taught, right? And you get into this Moten Bailey thing, um, where where you know it's not so easy to understand what exactly critical race theory is, or why you might use that term as opposed to just saying, "Well, we're talking about race mm-hmm. or racism." And the idea of almost all critical theories is there is that they emerge out of postmodernism, where um, that's a pretty huge subject. But in short, I'll say that generally, postmodernism describes the world as as a um, a result of power dynamics and hierarchies, and that's the it would sort of set up, you know, things aren't utopia, things aren't as good as they could be because power is being used by the powerful to oppress the powerless. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so that's the critical theory. The critical theory in critical race theory looks at everything through the lens of race and power as a result. So it sees race in everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how you get to... Who is it? Uh, was it Robin DiAngelo who said, um, "In any given situation, the question is not did racism occur, but how did racism occur?"
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's a a presupposition that racism is always in play, mm-hmm. can't not be in play. It's the lens through which you see the world. So critical theory sees the world through the lens of power. Um, and it occurred to me. So I, I had this conversation with a friend in which we were talking about cheerleading because my daughter is in in cheerleading and this friend sort of bristled at that um, and said, you know, I I have a hard time imagining like sort of feeling okay with, you know, my daughter participating in this sort of sideline sport. And it's kind of a totally understandable thing to say. Like it makes perfect sense to me. You know, I always kind of, I think, cringed a bit at the existence of cheerleading like in middle school and somewhat in high school. I think less so like when I look at sort of college or um, uh, major league sports. Yeah. You know, it seems a little bit more legitimized. Mm -hmm. But I just couldn't stop thinking about that because I was thinking, well, the reason that it's a bit cringy is because the lens through which you're seeing it, the presupposition is one of power. That there is some game. Let's take football, for example, that's set up. And then someone who says, well, let's give the girls something to do. You know, why don't we put them on the sideline and make them support the boys? And then while they're at it, why don't we make them look cute? That'd be good, right? We'd all like to look at that. And so you sort of set up this very misogynistic um, derivative of a power dynamic that is trying to inform the way that it wants the world to be. And I think we're so used to talking about things that way that it you sort of accept that like, yeah, that's, it's kind of shitty, right? Like why are we putting these unre- unrealistic expectations on our girls? And why are we, you know, sexualizing them and subordinating them to the boys and, you know, sticking them in this, this sideline sport, um, jump in at any time. I'm, no, you're doing great. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm learning right now. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't, I don't know why this little conversation stuck with me. I, I've been thinking about it for several days. Um, and I think the, the thing is, the, the reason that it stuck with me is, I tried to think, okay, if that were true, you know, if that's why we have such a thing as cheerleading, then what is there to be done about it? You know, for one thing, We're assuming that nobody involved in this has any agency other than the person setting up this sideline sport for our girls, right? So the thing to do would be to remove that power, which is causing this sort of cringy thing to happen. And then that all stops, right? They just won't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? Well, they're doing it now. So then what do they do? Well, you know, we'll go be in the stands with everybody else. It's like, well, isn't that kind of misogynistic too? Like you're down there doing your thing, and we think no, it'd be much better if you weren't doing that. If you went and s- sat in the stands with your friends, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so you're gonna you're gonna tell our women what they should and shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. That seems like a misogynistic trap. There.
1: What also just it just also presupposes that that they don't have a choice but to be. It's almost like you, you, and you, you go out there, look pretty, and. Cheer mm-hmm. and you don't have a say on it, but that's, that's not what's happening to begin with is there's a choice in Hey, I want to be out there leading cheers. So it's already, it's already just kind of devalues any sort of agency that the right. person who is out there doing it. Right. Well, to to support the
0: original description and the, the original, um, lens, I guess, through which we're seeing this, mm-hmm. you've already removed agency. Yeah. And you can say, well, maybe they like doing it, but they wouldn't have liked doing it if the stereotype hadn't already existed and it's much more layered and, and, and mm-hmm. covert than that. It's yeah. like, okay, we could play covert. that game. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I think that's a really important thing you just said covert. Covert. Like, like you might be participating in it, but it's a covert sexism or mm-hmm. misogyny. Yeah. Right. But that, that
0: still doesn't solve the problem
1: because mm-hmm. your solution is
0: now going to be overtly. Um, removing agency Mm -hmm. overtly in this case, misogynistic. So the alternative is, well, okay, so we don't want them cheering anymore. So we're going to send them into the stands. Well, okay. We don't like that. Well, well, let's put them on the field playing the sport. Well, that's kind of problematic because we're talking about football in this example. Right. And you know, who wants to, it's like my daughter's 13. Who wants to send your 13 year old daughter out onto this
1: contact sport field with a bunch of aggressive, uh, pubescent boys. Or they even presupposes that they would even want to be on the field in that
0: again, a lack of agency. (laughs) It's like, we're just going to force them to participate Uh, in this. I mean, so we're hitting these dead end roads. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, okay, this explanation of the world that. That cheerleading is derogatory to women because it's coming from some desire that they be subordinate and cute and all of this. It boxes you into a dead end road that you can't get out of. Mm-hmm. So, just to put some more thought to that, it's like, okay, let's say that they do want to go participate. Well, the world is completely happy to watch men and our boys go out and completely wreck each other on the field. You know, all of these NFL players have brain damage. They're breaking bones. They're all fucked up afterward. We are totally okay with that. Mm -hmm. You know, we love this sport as a nation. So it's like a price we're willing to pay, and the men are willing to pay it, Mm -hmm. you know, and feel how you want about that, fine. But I don't think anybody is going to feel good about watching women
1: do that to themselves. Well, we do have a roller derby. True, true. But, but it's a very small subset and I don't yeah. want
0: to get sidelined yeah, yeah, into totally. the, into yeah. the women and men sports thing, but mm-hmm. I just don't think it's an acceptable solution to
1: us. I mean, um, well, the thing and, is, and the and same person who would want to maybe do that a woman that would want to do that might not be the same person who would want to cheer. cheer. Right. I mean, it's totally. really, yeah. Okay. So then the alternative is, well, back to the idea, Well,
0: send, send them into the, the stands with everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, You know, that's kind of horrible because, hey, we didn't like you on the sidelines because we were subordinating you. Yet the sidelines are also the best place to be in the game. And that's the place we reserve for our, you know, biggest advocates of the team and our celebrities and our rich people. And, you Mm -hmm. know, hey, that's no place for a woman. It's like, whoa, (laughs) you know, you get trapped into
1: this really gross thing constantly. Well, it's also the prestige. I mean, uh, the cheerleader, like everybody knows who they are. You know, in a school, it's sort of like because they represent something and, and there's there's certain, uh, I guess, prestige as far as being out on the sideline, like you said, with our, our totally. stars and all that yeah. kind of stuff. is like there's something that sets you apart and and focuses attention. And people also look to the cheerleaders. And, you know, again, this is boys and girls, but they look for, to the cheerleaders for sort of guidance in how to engage the game, you know, yeah. it's like, like how do you start a wave? You know, it's like usually a mascot does it, or right, right. there's, there's something that you're directing and helping people to be more engaged as a community. It's almost, there's a kind of a leadership in, mm-hmm. in that position. So it's like, again, but it's, it's how you frame it. If you only frame it under the guise of hierarchies and, and um, misogyny, It's like, yeah, you can look at that and and there might be some aspects of that that could be true. But that's not the only way to look at it. And that's the difference between critical theories and traditional theories is like traditional theories look at more of what is happening here. Okay, there may be some misogyny happening. There may be some hierarchy negative aspects happening here. But at the same time, there's also this other thing that's happening where we're seeing and that they get the crowd engaged and focused and energy to encourage and, and everybody's having a good time, you know, yelling defense, defense, like who starts that? Yeah. The cheerleaders start that, right. You know, and it, and it brings everybody into a sort of a, a, a point of focus, you know? Yeah. There's almost like, they're almost like a priesthood almost in that sense, you know? <laughs> mm, interesting. <clears throat>
0: so, So if you, If you try to solve the the original problem by sending, you know, by eliminating the cheerleading as a a thing, and you send Mm -hmm. them into the stands, well, what do you send them into the stands to do? Like, what is everyone in the stands already doing? It's like they're cheering. Mm -hmm. That's why they're there. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people in the you know NFL. Mm -hmm. They come to make absolute fools of themselves. (laughs) You know, guys with like shirts ripped off. Painted all up in matching coordinated ways, jumping, dancing, screaming, um, sloshing beer everywhere. You know, everybody makes a whole day out of it mm-hmm. to cheer. Yeah. And so you're saying, hey, the way that those cheerleaders down there are doing it is is cringe and gross. They should go do it like everyone else, which mm-hmm. is well, again, like a really problematic solution. Um So maybe, and this is where I started thinking, okay, how is it that I think about this? I think I think about it more as, well, isn't the existence of cheerleading more likely described as a natural emergence, like as an emergent activity that occurs naturally out of what's already going on? Like we're all already cheering. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it make sense that some portion of those people who are cheering might want to be more coordinated in their outfits and their moves and their chants, mm-hmm. more practiced, more skilled, and then be given a more prominent position to perform that. Like, of course that makes sense. And so is it, and, and then is it all that surprising that it's primarily women who do that? Mm. I think, you know, if I think about my two daughters, Not at all. It's not surprising. Like, my girls sit around, you know, Indian style between themselves and with their friends and do these hand clapping games and and come up with these little songs and chants. Like, my son never did that. I never did that. Girls like doing that. It wasn't patriarchy or misogyny that got them to do that. They just do it Mm -hmm. naturally. So in an environment where that becomes sort of particularly useful, it makes perfect sense to me that they would take that naturally emergent desire to move and coordinate and sing and clap and cheer, essentially. Yeah. And <clears throat> make that a more organized thing and then practice it because they're already practicing it with no game going on at all. And now mm-hmm. there's a game and now they're, there's, you know... I see my daughter go to football games and, you know, before she was um, taking these cheer lessons, her and her friends were doing this on the sidelines, not, not on the sidelines exactly, but you know, like in the stands or whatever, they're coming up with shit. So, you know, is that an acceptable explanation? And I think, well, no, you know, it's not the only explanation. As you said earlier, there certainly is, you know, misogyny, a surrounding cheerleading, but to look at it, to look at the existence of cheerleading as the result of misogyny, Mm -hmm. as the result of power, you know, sprinkle the word patriarchy in there for good measure (laughs) is, is problematic because you can't solve it without making it worse. If -hmm. that's the way that you see it. I mean, you can, you can acknowledge the existence of those things, but explain the core motivation as something more naturally emergent And then you could actually do something about the parts of it you don't like. Mm -hmm. But if you describe everything as the result of power, then you have to get rid of it. You have to get rid of the power, which under your view would get rid of the thing itself. But now you are actually creating more of the thing that you didn't like, more of the lack of agency, more of the misogyny, more of the power dynamic, because you're the one now wielding the power. Mm -hmm. So I just think so then I think about sort of these critical theories at large and, um, I was watching, uh, a Peterson lecture the other day and he was talking about this book, I think called infidel. And I don't know, I, I should have come a bit more prepared on this one, but it describes this woman who she comes to sort of a first world country from a very third world country and, and describes her experience. And one of the things she describes is, um, being absolutely blown away that there was a sign on the side of the road, like a bus stop sign, and there was a number on it counting down. And she was blown away that the number got to zero and the bus arrived, you know, plus or minus 10 seconds or something. She just couldn't believe it. She was like, how could they do that? How could they make that work? She had no context for this. Mm -hmm. And I think, and his point is, you know, It's not sufficient to describe the world as the result of power dynamics and hierarchies because the world works and it doesn't work as the result of power. It works as a result of the willful participation of the people who rely on it working. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, take that basic example of cheerleading and say, well, It's greed and power and capitalism that cause the buses to come on time. So we got to get, we got to fix that, right? So how are you going to fix that? Well, you got to get rid of the, you know, the buses because the greed and the power are the thing causing the buses to come on time. So we've got to get rid of all that. Mm-hmm. Well, but we kind of need buses, right? So now you have to adopt the power to create the buses to come on time. And guess what? You can't do it. Yeah, Because now you're actually creating a world that is the result of power. It's just that you're the one in control. You know, whether it's sort of like you or the royal sort of you in terms of like, let's say, ideology or political party or or whatever. So this is, I think, the moment I've been driving at or the sort of epiphany that I had that the absolute, it seems to me, like the only logical response to trying to do anything about a problem that you describe as the result of critical theory, postmodern power hierarchies. The only result of that is the
1: absolute destruction of everything. Like there's no positive response. Well, it's interesting because there's two things that come out of that is one is let's tear it down. But then there's this other part that says, and let's build something better. You know, and, and that's, that's the, the build back better, the build back better. The thing is, is, <clears throat> is you re, you still, you can never get rid of hierarchies. And so it's almost like a false claim as far as it's the hierarchy. That's the problem. It's like, no, you need hierarchy. You need systems and institutions to work and be efficient and effective. And yes, there are negative aspects to all those things, but, but you need, you need You need the hierarchy to be able to dictate buses and schedules and maintenance and, you know, organizing people into groups and levels of responsibility and accountability. You need, you need
0: cooperation in Mm -hmm. order to make complex systems work. Exactly. And how do you do that? Well, you,
1: yeah, you coordinate through organization, you organize through direction and people have different responsibilities and accountability and that, tells a hierarchy yeah I mean not everybody can not everybody should be a mechanic because that means schedules aren't being made not everybody can be a scheduler because that means <laughs> no one's driving the buses you know it's like it's so uh, people have to be like if someone schedules something and if they don't have the power and authority to in uh, to um, to to instigate that schedule and make it happen, and people could just willy nilly say, "Ah, oh, I don't really want to drive that route." Yeah, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, just drive whatever route you want. It's like, no, we need. It's like, no, you're fired because this is the route that needs to be driven because this is where most of the people are and where most people want to go. And we have a system in place to get right. most people to the places that they want to go, not just where you willy nilly want to want that to happen. <laughs> willy nilly. Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Yeah, and, and 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 you have to also allow agency within that system. Mm-hmm. Like, look, I don't want to be a bus driver. Fine, don't be. Yeah, you know, go be something else. Like, it's the same with cheerleading. It's this is not too like. Of course, there are people that force their daughters into cheerleading because they want them to be some stereotypical version of of feminine or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like no, that's that's no good. You know, we're not advocating for that mm-hmm. nor are we advocating for you know every people being assigned their jobs in society to be bus driver mechanic scheduler or, or what have you there needs to be agency and 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 mm-hmm. free will within that system for it to function properly yeah it's got to be this very complex mix of organization and hierarchy but also the ability to opt in and out of those
1: yeah to have the agency within yeah, yeah.
0: right which is i think we do and i and just to try to drive the point again, because I'm not sure that we've made it sufficiently, is that, um, well, again, if you describe the world as the result of power dynamics, you there are no adequate solutions to that problem. But if you describe the world as emergent from agency and free will, in which there does exist malevolent, power dynamics well you can do something about that Mm. so it seems like a much better way to look at the world
1: well it's 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 interesting too just like what we well we spent a lot of 2021 uh talking about narrative and stuff it's it's how you tell the story too and i think that's something that you know, you think of like a football game as as an event, you know, it's like, okay, well, how can we have the best event ever? Okay, cool. Well, we're going to put the players out in the middle of the field that everyone's going to circle around. Okay. We're going to make stadiums. So everybody has a pretty good vision of what's going to happen on the field because that's why we're here is to watch a football game. Okay. Well, how can we get the, the, everybody engaged in this in this event, you know, okay, well definitely that one part of seating and being able to have a good visual of, of what's happening, but then also what's organized where we have one team on this side of the field and the other team on that side of the field. So then people can have more camaraderie about around shared goals and vision that they want their team to win. But see, you're already describing all this as if somebody sort of invented it and
0: then directed it. And that's not the way it's observed and it when, happened. how can you how can you better? It can't have happened that way. Yeah, it's like how can you better? It's more like it's not like somebody said, "Hey, these fans sit on this side and these fans sit on this side." Mm-hmm. It's more like that's an that's an emergent property of the fact that people are there to to support two different teams. Mm-hmm. It's like, of course, I'm going to hang out with my friends who who were supporting the same team. Well, I'm just thinking, which like, is like, naturally going to separate me from you know you in the other school and your friends because
1: mm-hmm. we're rooting for two sides of a of a of a battle. Well, I think that's part that I'm kind of getting at is like, well, let's make this more equitable, you know, equitable. Uh like, you know, so let's have everybody seated mixed in with each other. Have all the teams, you know, every other every other seat is a person from the other team. You know, so you're you're starting to kind of like you're you're starting to kind of like divide and make make an event in a in a situation more uh <laughs> less natural. Well, it's like
0: didn't everyone go to middle school? Doesn't everyone know <laughs> that seating charts in the cafeteria are the worst thing in the world? Uh, it's like there's no bigger buzzkill yeah. than assigned seating in the cafeteria. Yeah. <laughs> so like, mean. no, no one's going to go to the game mm-hmm.
1: when you have assigned seatings. Yeah, it's it's you're almost there out of like just to observe because you're not you're not sharing the same camaraderie that you would with the person next to you as if if they were not on the same team. Mm-hmm. And I would say this is even even further back as far as like tribal too you know it's like you know you meet on the battlefield and you send your two like uh, best soldier out to fight the other team you know uh they bring they put their best soldier out to fight the team it's like you're not going to mix everybody up and <laughs> you know it's like so something like there's something very like primal in that too as far as like that we act out during a football game or basketball game or soccer or softball whatever it might be you know we're kind of acting out some of these more ancient aspects of, but in a safer way that we're not killing each other. Well, yeah, more it brings up a
0: whole, a whole nother interesting subject, which mm. is why the hell do we care to watch games at all in the first place? Like, it seems like a really strange thing to do. And yet it is one of the most popular things to do in the world.
1: Yeah. And you pick your favorite player, your favorite team, yeah. and you wear their shirts, businesses, jerseys. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, why do we do that?
0: That's it's, When you and I experienced this when we first went to the Austin FC games. Oh, yeah. Uh Like, so Austin now has this football club called Austin FC, Major League Soccer. Uh, Yeah, Major League Soccer. Yeah, Major League Soccer. (laughs) Well, it's like, it's football, but it's soccer because we're Americans. You know, I don't know, whatever you call it. I know,
1: I go back and forth all the
0: time. Yeah, it's like, I've never been into sports my entire life. (laughs) And then we went, and at the first game, I was like, this is amazing. I'm in love. What I'm is an that? Austin FC fan. Yeah. What do <laughs> you, it's like, what do you, res- what is it in me that I'm responding to? Mm-hmm. Or what is it in me that is responding to this thing? And it's a
1: really interesting question to ask yourself. Well, it's interesting because it's like, there's like, I am from Austin. This is the team. This is Austin's team and they're playing in Houston. And Houston is another city and they have their own fans and we're going to kill them and annihilate them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm going to take pleasure. I'll it. take pleasure in yeah. it. But you almost can't not participate. I mean, no matter how hard you try to not be a part of that, you kind of miss out on an experience. I mean, luckily over the centuries and millennia, we've kind of brought them into ways that we can express that and maybe a, a, a a safer and less lethal <laughs> fashion mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. i mean it could even be described as taking the place of war you know i think the olympics are kind of that too is is we're going to go and compete against these other nations and to see which nation is best mm-hmm, and there's a certain pride whenever somebody from your nation wins something you mm-hmm. know yeah or there used to be that there's there's kind of some, even some kickbacks to that too you know but i think there's something that's primal that we have to act out. And that's the Olympics is something that has brought that into a safer. Well, I think that's why societies and cultures
0: who have fallen prey to, well, this, this power dynamic lens of seeing the world, which really, I think first emerged in popularity through Marxism and the cultures who have, who have really adopted that, they, they, It's, you know, what starts with cancel culture ends in genocide. (laughs) I mean, there's just not another direction to go Mm -hmm. because you can't solve any problems because every problem, then every solution becomes another example of the problem because of the way that you're seeing the world. And so it's like everyone has to go. Mm -hmm. They just fully collapse into dissolution.
1: Well, in, in that system too, there's always a pretending that happens. It's sort of like, oh no, this is the baseline, but once that baseline is reached, right. it's like you have to then kind of lower that to another baseline. I mean, we saw that. Right. It's like in the
0: in the USSR, mm-hmm. all the people who participated in the revolution, as soon as that was over, Stalin turned around and just
1: killed them all. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's like it was the landowners, and it was those who took over that that part of it, and then it was just it's just a never ending sort of culling of the herd mm-hmm. from, from that point out. It's, yeah. But it's hard to see because again, I think something that you brought up um, on our show notes about propaganda, you know, I think that kind of also leads into this, this conversation that there's, there is some truth there, but it's kind of wrapped up in a, um, a sort of a false narrative. I don't know if you want to, read that or sure yeah <clears throat> or if I'm jumping too quickly we can hold off on that
0: no let's go there okay. so this is a, an excerpt from hold, let me pull it up um, well if I'm to believe the so, if I can find it I think I have it up uh, Jacques Elul propaganda and the formation of men's attitudes an excerpt from this book um so the most this is this is a, just a short paragraph the most generally held concept of propaganda is that it is a series of tall stories of a tissue of lies and that lies are necessary for effective propaganda hitler himself apparently confirmed this point of view when he said that the bigger the lie the more its chance of being believed this concept leads to two attitudes among the public. The first is, of course, we shall not be victims of propaganda because we are capable of distinguishing truth from falsehood. Anyone holding that conviction is extremely susceptible, susceptible to propaganda, because when propaganda does not tell the truth, he is often then, sorry, because when propaganda does tell the truth, he is then convinced that it is no longer propaganda. Moreover, his self-confidence makes him all the more vulnerable to attacks of which he is unaware.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So what direction do you want to go with that? I think it's. Well,
1: that's a really good question. Uh, Well, just in you reading it, that what kind of stood out to me was this idea of like propaganda and then that there are truths within that propaganda and that. Whenever you do hear the truth, then it kind of like validates all the rest that has been said, and you know I think, I think that's something that right now, I, I, again I don't want to get into COVID stuff, but you know something that you and I, <laughs> but we're going to we're anyway. going to anyways. Well, you said it would drive us absolutely nuts because you and I were like searching for a lot of this information and had to comb through so much stuff of CDC and. Uh, I mean, it was just insane. The amount of research you and I had to do. And we're like, okay, well, okay. How many people were in the hospital because of COVID and, and from COVID, you know, are are, are that, are, that have COVID, but it's, it's, they're not in the hospital for COVID. They're, they're in the hospital with COVID. Right. And it's been two years and it's the first time I've heard mainstream media make that statement. And you and I, and also the whole idea of like comorbidities, it's like, most people who die from COVID had had uh, back back when we were looking at it, it was three point five, but uh, just recently I think CNN put that was like four comorbidities, and I, like that, this is something that we had to dig and find, and it's just now. Yeah, I think we actually did an episode on that, mm-hmm. like episode
0: twelve or something. It's, it's <laughs> titled "Only Six Percent" because uh-huh. buried on the CDC's website was a stat that said six percent of those who have died of COVID died of covid Mm -hmm. the rest 94 percent of the people who died of covid had an average of i think 3.5 other comorbidities Mm -hmm. and that was an astounding statistic
1: and it just didn't get talked about well and you and here here we are crazy because we're like okay but there's more to the story than this there's something why why is this not being talked about it was really frustrating
0: yeah so to to round that out just two days ago, Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC, mm-hmm. has now said that, and I think to be accurate, she said uh, 75% of those vaccinated mm-hmm. have died with an average of four other comorbidities. Yeah. So, again, it's narrative weaving and take from that what you will, um, but try, like, I'll pass this back to you, but like, try to, like, bring this back into the propaganda thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think that that's a part of like the propaganda is like, you know, so many people did not like Trump. And so it really wasn't. And again, this is to be very careful here is like, you know, cuz like COVID, that was a serious thing that we all faced and we didn't understand what was going on and there were so many unquestion things that we had no idea about. Um, but you also saw this whole narrative like, you know, I don't care what you think about Trump. I'm not really interested in that part of it, but you did see like a complete whatever Trump said, the mainstream media said the exact opposite. And so there was this kind of like, you just felt this sort of push to like, you even see that today with like, you know, uh, Florida and Texas, but that's even becoming, even that's kind of being stepped back a little bit. Um, but it's, it's, it's just sort of propaganda that if you're on the right, whatever you whatever you say is wrong. is kind of like, what I've kind of picked up over the, over the, over the last couple of years, specifically with COVID. And, and then it wasn't, the crazy thing was, it wasn't even about the right. It was like people that were on the left were being put into that category. So there was some sort (coughs) of like, if you're not in our camp, you're on, you are conservative or you're a Republican. Right.
0: Well, let me add, so there's one more sentence to that quote that I didn't read. So he says, um, this concept leads to two attitudes among the public and, the first one was basically, you know, if if the propagandist says something which is true, mm-hmm. you say, well, it can't be propaganda then. Mm-hmm. The second attitude is, we believe nothing that the enemy says because everything he says is necessarily untrue. Mm-hmm. So it's the inverse, but it's the same problem. Mm-hmm. So, I can't believe anything that you say because... I believe everything that you say is, is necessarily untrue, Mm -hmm. i.e., you know, Trumper, Republican, uh, you know, Democrat, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to, I'm going to group you. Yeah. And that grouping could be, well, you said something true, so you're not propaganda Mm -hmm. or you said something untrue. So I can't believe anything that you say.
1: Yeah. Well, it's the same idea of like something I, I like to ask people who are, you know, not for trump it's like um because i'm not a i'm not a trump supporter or anything like that like i'm not really political in this way but i was kind of like okay well can you name one good thing that he's done and most people could could not even name one thing and they well, would i think say, most of people wouldn't dare wouldn't dare? They even, get the even if they could uh-huh. they wouldn't yeah.
0: dare because you would be seen as supporting him which is mm-hmm. so uh socially suicidal yeah that it's like you have to fall into that second ca- attitude mm-hmm. of I can't believe anything the enemy says because everything he says is necessarily untrue. Necessary for what? Well, for me to exist in the space I'm in. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think there's something you and I have talked about on this on the podcast quite a bit. I think, you know, I think you saw the Republicans kind of in this space in the 80s, kind of like the religious right type aspect of like there's, you know, if you don't follow more of like a a, a Baptist puritanical way than you're bad or evil. You know, I think that's something that, that kind of stigmatized, I'm again, I'm way over generalizing here, but I feel like that somewhat stigmatized like the eighties and into the nineties. And I almost think you could think, think of the Democrats right now in that same, that same way that the Republicans were in the eighties, as far as like, if you don't adhere to our way of thinking, then you're bad and evil, and it's the same, I feel like it's the same religious language yeah. in both, in both right. instances.
0: Well, again, it's the, it like, seems to me like that comes back to the same problem of <clears throat> if you're not careful about the way in which you des- you choose to describe the world, mm-hmm. you, you are susceptible to ending up in a place. Well, that locks you out of solutions. Mm. And that isn't to say that your, your way of describing the world is, well, it's, it it isn't to say that it's incorrect, Mm -hmm. right? Like there certainly is misogyny and cheerleading, Mm -hmm. but if you describe the, if you describe the world that way, you're kind of screwed. Um, so same thing here with in group, out group dynamics, Mm -hmm. you can't get away from them. Yeah they're biologically based. Mm-hmm. You need them. But if you choose to describe everything in the world through that lens, well you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Because you can't subvert it. You can't well you can't you can't bring someone in from the out. They're out, you know? Can't yeah. have a republican at the democrat dinner or De- democrat at the republican dinner, you mm-hmm. know? It's better we just don't mingle, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not going home to see my parents because they didn't get the vaccine, mm-hmm. or I'm not going home to see my parents because they're thinking about voting for Trump. Yeah. You know, this is not a functional way to live. This is a destructive way to live. You're destroying families, mm-hmm. which is the heart of communities, which is the heart of society. So the way that you're behaving, while it might not be
1: incorrect, it results in the destruction of everything. Mm-hmm. Well, again, and and kind of coming back to like the weaving of narratives too, it's like in group, out group type aspects, you know, it's like where we, we, our system is supposed to encourage different viewpoints and to, and to be able to have that sort of worked out in the public sphere in a way that won't lead to violence. Mm -hmm. And so it's encouraged to have political parties and debates and, uh, differences of opinion and to be able to work those things out because we actually need each other. We need the left. We need the right. We need the independence, the, the, um, uh, oh, shoot the libertarians because in uh, somewhere in there, we can kind of work out what we need to do now, which, you know, certain aspects, maybe a libertarian viewpoint might be more beneficial you know and then at another point maybe a conservative or a liberal it's like or some sort of blending of the of the two or three you know so i think that's the part that once we start demonizing the other side in some form or fashion then we kind of lose out on some sort of actual solution to the problem like if the football example yes there there may be some misogyny there or some negative aspects of the hierarchy or something like that but there's also some really good things that are that the that cheerleaders provide for the community and bringing them together and focusing them, you know? Hmm. So, so you can't, it can't be so one dimensional. There has to be a, you know, unidimensional look at what these different institutions bring and provide for us as a community. Cause we need, we need them. However, they're not perfect and they need to be continually, um, sacrificed and reborn kind of thing. (laughs) Not sacrificed, but uh, Um, reworked. So I think there's a tie
0: between something. So this idea that perhaps sports are a replacement for war. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, well, that seems like a pretty good thing. Yeah. Because people don't have to die. Um, You said something about like, diversity of opinion, diversity of thought being worked out in the town square mm-hmm. and that our system is supposed to support that. And it made me think of this quote from Thomas Paine. He said, he who dares not offend cannot be honest. And I think, you know, why might that be? Well, because life is offensive. hmm. I mean, at at a certain level, life is trying to kill you, you know, (laughs) it's offensive. uh People die. There's disease, there's heartache, there's all kinds of problems. And so what are you supposed to do about that? Well, you've got to, well, be honest about it. And to be honest about it means that you're going to offend some people who don't want to see it that way. And so what is a healthy society? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the purpose of free speech in the town square? And it seems to me like this make something similar to instead of going to war, why don't we send our athletes to the Olympics mm-hmm. to figure out who's best? Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of, you know, you, you know, the scene at the bar, you accidentally offend a guy. What's the result of offense? A fight makes me think of Romeo and Juliet. It's like, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? No, I do not bite my thumb at you, sir. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, totally. Especially the Leonardo DiCaprio version. Uh-huh. Um, fantastic film, by the I way. I bite my thumb. Yeah. <laughs> but the result, it's like you. we all know that the sort of like um, lizard brain response to offense mm-hmm. is we're going to solve this through physical violence. Mm-hmm. And the victor is the one who was right. Yeah. Wouldn't it be so much better if we had a society in which you could dare to offend and that that didn't turn into violence Mm -hmm. and what, how do you, it's like, how do you build such a society? And it seems like we kind of did it. Mm -hmm. And now it's starting to degrade into something where offense is the worst thing that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost worse than murder or death. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I shudder to think at the direction that that's going to send us. Like you want to be able to offend so that you can be honest and you want to be able to do that in a way that doesn't result in violence so that you can keep being honest and you can actually solve problems. Mm -hmm. But if you adopt a worldview, you know, in which, Well, in which you see everything as the result of power dynamics, thus the only solution is sort of your solution, Mm -hmm. which is a recapitulation of the original problem. Well, then, of course, offense is the worst thing that you can do, because offense becomes absolutely immoral. Whereas in the previous formulation, if you if you describe the world as, well, sports as an emergent phenomena of trying to kill less people (laughs) it's like free speech and open dialogue is perhaps an emergent phenomena of trying to be honest and productive mm-hmm. and if offense is a necessary um participant in that endeavor well so be it you want to get rid of offense at the destruction of society
1: well i i think too as, as far as even as our our youth are uh and experiencing debate and that kind of thing. We've talked about this a few times, but um, it's such a healthy thing to be able to speak out loud and to offend and then to be corrected. And then the, then the question is, is was that correction correct? Well, I don't know. Let me push back on that. And the idea would be is that we train our young people to be able to push back And to have people to kind of guide them into how to dialogue and engage in conversation that is productive and say, hey, you're being like someone you're being unreasonable. Like, did you listen? Actually, now you're going to you're going to defend that point now. Yeah. We want to teach our young people critical thinking Mm -hmm. to think critically about
0: what others are saying as well as what they're saying, Mm -hmm. you know. I, I need to be able to think critically about what I have to say as well as what you have to say about what I have to say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I just remember just like blaring in my head from this, like last year, mm-hmm. that headline from, I don't know if it was Washington post or, uh, New York times or whatever saying why critical thinking is dangerous. <laughs> well, it seems comical, uh-huh, it does. but this was a sincere headline, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that the, the explanation was essentially, well, because it causes offense. It causes dissent. Mm-hmm. And I think we have gone absolutely mad.
1: Yeah. Cause there's really no other way to go. If you don't allow that sort of dissenting views and critical thinking, mm-hmm. you take, you take options out of people's hands and, and their only option is violence at some point right on both sides it's like you know i want to shut you up because you don't adhere to my way of thinking Gosh. so therefore i must silence you and if you're right. not going to be silenced then i'm going to take you out take you out anyway. so we're gonna re- yeah so revert to absolute tribalism mm-hmm.
0: and this is the destruction that societies who adopt this way of thinking suffer
1: yeah well i think there's also a part of of, of most of us, and probably you and I included in this, I think probably those who came maybe 10, 15 years before us, you know, with the Vietnam war, like we're so detached from what that really means. I mean, we did have desert storm and some of that too, but I don't think we really understand, especially in the West and maybe the United States, like what that means. If you cannot or maybe we experienced that some of this this last year with some of the riots and stuff that we've seen that that are not very well <laughs> talked about. You know, is is we're not having that that dialogue in the square, <clears throat> and and only certain people are being heard, or the 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 the, um, the framing of it is only one dimensional as far as like how, how those things are reported. Right. Well, it has to be one dimensional because
0: <clears throat> otherwise it doesn't fit into the progress of the narrative mm-hmm. and actually why everything outside the narrative must die. Mm-hmm. It must die in order to sustain the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually everything must die because the narrative will shrink and shrink and shrink and the amount which is outside of it will grow.
1: Well, I think that's one thing I've heard quite a bit this, this last few years is like a lot of my friends that are a little bit more left of me feeling more and more left out by the left, you know? Right. And, you know, even even some of the people I know that are on the left that were being sort of labeled as being on the right, you know, or are being conservative. And they're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's like it, there's a sort of like, like something has happened and broken down. There's like a, a minority of a viewpoint that has pushed most people out. And it's like, I think it's starting, it's, it's starting to choke on itself. You know, I mean, even... I think the last two months you and I have kind of been sending each other back and forth tweets that we're seeing on mainstream media that was not happening, you know, a year ago or six months ago. And, and it's like, okay, yes, that is the fuller story, but aren't you going to say something that you have, you have been not been saying that this, (laughs) this whole time. It's like, it's like you've been pushing some, but this is not new information. This is stuff that you and I are dealing with, for many many months, if not a year or more, you know. Well, like the co-buriedities mm-hmm. and yeah. the 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 from versus with mm-hmm.
0: COVID deaths, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's just it's just really frustrating. I just kind of wonder how many people are frustrated with that. It's like, no, give us give us all the information. I think a lot of people are frustrated. Yeah,
0: I and I don't know that. The, <sighs> I don't know that they would necessarily describe it as being frustrated. I think I just see people just tuning out. Oh, true. Yeah. Just like what? I'm not even paying attention anymore.
1: Mm-mm. Oh, I found myself doing the same thing. Yeah. Like I'm just tired of Yeah. all of that. It's like, I don't care what, <laughs> you know, but I'm also kind of sick. And then I'd still dive into all that stuff still <laughs> sick. Yeah. I'm sick. Cause I love it. <laughs> well, it's like, I want to know, like, I don't, I don't care what party you're from or what you're, your political leanings are. I just want to know. I want to know what's true. What's, what's, what's the best information that we have. Yeah. I think that probably drives Mm. you and I both crazy up the wall. (laughs) Well, it drives me crazy for like,
0: from a philosophical point of view. Uh I know we, a few episodes back did a whole conversation on what is true and does it matter?
1: Mm.
0: Does it matter what's true? I mean, that's really interesting. Um, well, maybe back to the the quote about um, propaganda. Mm-hmm. You know, propaganda is by definition lies, as illustrated by Hitler, at least mm-hmm. from that quote. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't truth. Mm. So is a piece of truth within a set of propaganda true? I mean, in some... You know in some maybe objective way yes but functionally no because it's wrapped up in something which is leading you in a direction that you don't want to go mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't really feel fair to say that it's true yeah which is this is the head spinner is well okay so what does it mean for something to be true
1: yeah Well, i wonder if that has a to do too like where you have you know somebody in the past that maybe had a little bit more of a, a complicated history you know um that we want to disregard everything because maybe something of their other of, of their life was um, maybe not as uh acceptable you know i mean you you this is plenty of there's plenty of examples of like uh, you know famous scientists or people of renown that were maybe anti-Semitic or, um, you know, racist of some, some form or fashion, you know, but at the same time they had a, a great, a huge impact, you know, it's like, can we allow people, certain people to be, or not certain people, can we allow people to maybe be wrong in some areas and be right in others? Is that, uh, to me, that's different from sort of propaganda in that it's, it's sole intention is to deceive you. Mm hmm where life is more complicated than that it's like i'm a good parent and also i'm a horrible parent <laughs> right. you know it's like there's the, the, both those things coexist and and some of it's from my own ignorance and some of it's from my faults some of it's you know i mean i would say that the purpose of
0: propaganda is to manipulate you mm-hmm. which deceit is a part of that yeah hmm whereas I can I can be not trying to manipulate you yeah. or deceive you and still lie to you, mm. knowingly or unknowingly. Yeah. Eh, I'm going to go back on that. I, I don't know that it's that I can still lie to you, but I can still say things which are true and things which are untrue. The difference might be that I'm not trying to consciously or willfully manipulate you. Mm-hmm. And to demonstrate that, I'm willing to admit when I was wrong about something mm-hmm. even if it was knowingly, yeah, and there was some malevolence to it mm. if I'm willing to admit that, that's sort of the like evaporates the, the the shape of the propaganda it's like which is why it's so frustrating when Raelle Wolinsky comes and says well seventy five percent of vaccinated deaths had four comorbidities it's like CDC said something like this about 18 months ago, Mm -hmm. but it was different in a few different ways. So what, and you're not acknowledging that. Yeah. So what has changed? I don't trust you because you're not being honest with me. Even if you just told me a statistic that is true, Mm -hmm. I get the feeling that you're not being honest. You're using that truth to manipulate something. Mm -hmm. And so again, back to the idea of what is true and do we care? It's like, I kind of don't care if that's true or not because mm-hmm. what you're actually doing is something completely different
1: and i'm more concerned about what you're actually doing than what you just told me yeah yeah so what's your agenda by now by now saying this where this has been something that's been true from the very beginning mm-hmm. and probably three to six months into the pandemic we knew this like this right. is something that was that was known it was in the data but nobody talked about it. And right. those who talked about it were seen as skeptics, skeptics, conspiracy theorists now and yeah, or whatever right. it might be like, there's so many people, so many doctors right now that are vaccinated that are for the vaccines, but are speaking against the, you know, like, Hey, should 15 year olds get vaccinated? No. Right. And they're having their medical license yeah. rev- revoked It's like or, or, or off of Twitter, you know, or something yeah, like that. Right. It's like, it's right. There's something else
0: going on. Besides the truth. Yeah. And I think, well, I want to say, I think we can all feel it, but I don't think we can all feel it. And,
1: you know, well,
0: I don't know what to do about that.
1: I don't either. Because I mean, again, once we get to like something you said is like, you know, we're on to Omicron right now. And it's like more and more people I think are just tuning out altogether. They're like, oh, I don't really care. Like, well, can I tell I might, that story real quick? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I went into a coffee shop um,
0: the other day. Wh- wh- a coffee shop that had been previously like removed their restrictions, You know, used to have a mask required sign on the door. They had taken that down or whatever. And I hadn't been there in a while. And I walked up to the door and it said, here we go again, Omicron, mask required. And I was just like... I'm not here. We going again. I'm not doing this, mm-hmm. but I want coffee. So I'm going in yeah. and I open the door, no mask. And I look around the coffee shops full of people. No one has a mask on, but they're sitting down, but they're sitting down because <laughs> we all know that sitting down is safe. And I walked up to the register and the barista had a mask on and I just said hello and smiled and asked how he was and ordered my drink. And I could feel a little bit of tension. Like maybe he wanted to say something, but he didn't. And I just think there is a force. And, and, and that sign was the essence of it. It's like, here we go again. We're doing this again. And I don't know where this force is coming from. It isn't rational, and it isn't empirical. Mm-hmm. And while there are truths in it, whatever else is going on that's, that's unexplainable seems far more dangerous to me than any of the truths which it espouses. Mm. And so I guess my response to that is like, well, and maybe this isn't the correct response. I mean, maybe this is what this propaganda quote was talking about. It's like, if, if, the, if, if what the enemy says is untrue, then I can't believe anything the enemy says. Mm. You know, maybe I'm falling prey to that.
1: Well, I think that's the part too, is like, you know, if our institutions cry wolf too many times, and then they're calling what's like what happens whenever there is an actual or another are you saying that there's wisdom
0: embedded in the boy who cried wolf <laughs> that's so weird huh? yeah <laughs> stories have a I wonder why
1: that story must have stuck around for yeah. so long yeah but i do feel that way right now it's like well I don't, and then, yeah I don't and trust our institutions and that's in what's general. so
0: interesting is like in the, the moral mm-hmm. of the story of the boy who cried wolf mm-hmm. was that everyone was the fool the boy who cried wolf was the fool, but so was the
1: person who stopped believing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, how can you, it's, it's such a, it's such a, a, a hard place to be in is that, you know, at some point you do have to move on with your life. You know, if you keep calling crying wolf and crying wolf. You're like, ah, oh, dude, I'm just done with this, you know? but there's a certain vigilance that you still have to maintain that at any point there actually could be a wolf. And what if he's right this time? Right. How would you know? Yeah. yeah you, you and, and, and I guess we try to embed those things in our society to be able to kind of punish people who do cry wolf, you know, and there's a social sort of, um, exclusion. You, you exclude somebody who does do that multiple times you know and you kind of like shun them in a sense in a sense you know but there's there always should be some sort of redemption for people to come back into the fold and it's like and how do you how do you keep that that space open to continue to receive new information douglas murray talks about this okay that our
0: solution to this problem used to be called forgiveness and we've we've forgotten what that means that's interesting. I think he talks about that in The Madness of Crowds.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a really powerful point. I mean, as a society, we don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, we've gotten very black or white. It's like you're either banned or not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're either in or out. You're either Democrat or Republican.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, left or right. You're <laughs> either moral or immoral, racist or not racist. Sorry. Racist or (laughs) (laughs) Uh anti-racist. Yeah. Which sets up a problem. Because, well, what do you do then? If you find yourself on the wrong side of
1: something, what do you do? You you have to either toe the line or you're ostracized. Right. Well, so
0: the larger point being, this isn't a recipe for a functional society. Mm -mm. So we need a path to redemption. That mm-hmm. path to redemption isn't simply a path for the one who needs redeeming. It's also requires the forgiveness of those who accept the prodigal son home.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let me, let me kind of push on that a little bit. Cause like it's really hard if someone is continually speaking sort of deceptively whether the whether willingly or unwillingly at some point there is a sort of ostracizing you know i think that's from society but i think our 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 level of tolerance is so low that we're actually ostracizing we jumped that step far too quickly far too quickly yeah, yeah. where that is really reserved for a very um, like a higher offense. Well, and you should want it to be reserved mm-hmm. as like a last resort. So, like the death penalty for anybody who steals or something like yeah, that, or right. you know, it's like no, that's that's not. You get you know, you steal, It's like you get five days in prison and you're out, or whatever. Well, it's
0: not that it's it's not that it's just. It's not just that it's unjust. Mm-hmm. It's also destructive to society. Hmm. So if you had. By way of analogy, your analogy, if you had the death penalty for anyone who steals, mm-hmm. like that would be unjust to the people who stole, but it would also absolutely ravage our families and our communities and society would completely fall apart. Mm-hmm. So it isn't only unjust, it's extremely destructive to the flourishing of our communities mm-hmm. and of our species
1: i mean even with the mandates like the to just eat or go to the grocery store you have to have a vaccine vaccine card it's like like how many people does that exclude and it's like we don't do that for any of our other like measles or mumps right. or whatever it might be i mean obviously you can probably say like right now this is a lot more of a um uh a disease that spread more often or whatever you know it's like yeah but it's That's why we have different, um, different punishments for different levels of crime. You know, you don't if you steal versus if you murder versus intentional murder versus accidental or, you know, know, what is it called? First, second, third degree murder. It's we we make these distinctions because we realize that there is a difference between these different offenses and if we if we start lumping everybody into the most extreme offense for everything that that somebody does you know like someone says a word that might not be acceptable to somebody else you know and we <laughs> label that as something that's almost as a <laughs> well yeah it's back to the,
0: the the previous point it's like if we get into a gun battle every time someone bites their thumb it's like <laughs> we're screwed guys so totally. how about we tolerate some offense forgive one another yeah let's save the gun battles for something a lot more serious
1: <laughs> exactly i think that's a good way to end it right the old there shakes here the wisdom uh-huh. all right was uh, a good way to end it that's a good way. <laughs> let's tolerate some offense i like that okay cheers to all that right, cheers definitely. love y'all out love there you. thanks for listening definitely Job. bye, <laughs> bye since it was
0: time to be done. He's like, oh, it's time for pets. (laughs) It's me time.